0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Eightman is intercepted by Sam Mills.
1: Steve oh. Smith is going to go all the way. The Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Oh, A touchdown by Moore, and in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. Keep Keep it.
2: Welcome to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I am your host Billy Marshall, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-host Mr. John Ellis. John, how's it going?
1: Oh, Billy, it's another day in paradise for the Carolina Panthers. How you doing, my friend? Hope all is well as the Panthers uh, fall to five and eight uh, with uh, a promising start and a series of blunders in between. And we're here to break it down with uh, a balanced, nuanced mindset, but a little more heat this week. I've got some things I want to get off my chest.
2: Absolutely. Can't wait for that. And. Yeah, this was a game, John, I told you last week, and I went on your radio show on Friday. I said, this is a game that they have to win. And when you lose games in the NFL that you're not supposed to, then questions are going to be asked. And fair questions are going to be asked. You have much more talent, in my opinion, than Atlanta. Atlanta is not a good football team. I don't care what their record says. They have a worse point differential than, like, like I think they had, like, the fourth worst point differential in the NFL. And you have a promising opening drive. Uh, things are starting to click, and then everything just goes downhill. I thought the quarterback played mediocre. I thought Newton wasn't, you know, perfect by any stretch. Just, um, I should say that both quarterbacks, uh, Walker obviously was a, another story. Um, but, John, 5.4 yards per play. Atlanta had five yards per play. And uh, that's not, you know, winning football when you turn the ball over in critical situations. Atlanta – The thing about the Falcons that impressed me, and again, I don't think they're a good team, didn't make stupid mistakes. And weekly, we're seeing this team just make dumb mistakes. And I feel like that's a reflection on the coach more than anything else. And this is year two. Uh, I heard Jonathan Jones, he's very plugged in with the team. He was going on radio, on CBS radio, and then I think he was on rally uh, radio in the triangle area saying that Matt Rule will probably get a third year but he caveated it with at this time. Again, I don't know if he will or won't. I have no sources to know that. Uh, but for me, John, I, I'm just, I'm not really seeing improvement. You're, I, I have bigger questions about the process that I think we'll get to later. But right now, execution on the field is lacking.
1: 100%, Billy. Uh, the, the game itself, we're going to talk about the nuts and bolts of what happened here against Atlanta, because this was a, elimination game for this season they're out of the playoff race now and not like it was going to be uh, an easy path forward but it was a terrible effort all the way around in a game they had to win so let's just start opening drive newton takes them downfield which is pretty rare for this team to take the opening kickoff and go downfield and get a touchdown in the first quarter i thought that was outstanding uh 10 plays uh 65 yards and that was after of course forcing an atlanta punt so a wonderful series by Newton overall, and a good series, I thought, by Jeff Nixon, play-calling-wise. I didn't have too many issues there. I think he did a pretty good job for throughout most of the game calling plays to the players' strengths. He got away from it a little bit. Um, but then, once again, defensively, you give up a five-minute, you 13-play know, drive to the Falcons, uh, and all of a sudden you turn around, you're, you're behind the eight ball. Uh, it's just a a consistent issue with this team. This defense right now, and we're going to get to the defense later too, but in this game, as they have been, very bad in third and long situations, which is very odd because their pass defense is designed to be so good in those situations. Billy, I've talked to people, you have too, around the league, scouts, coaches, analysts, They've got great speed in terms of their front four. They've got great pass rushers. They have some good coverage on the back end, even though they're shorthanded without Dante. So the idea is to win on first down. They were winning early downs, Billy, on defense. And still, they couldn't stop, whether it was, you know, picking each other at the end there with the linebacker rubbing against Hartsfield or, you know, just downfield coverages being too soft, missed assignments, uh, pass rush not getting home. Atlanta, credit to them, they played a clean game for the most part. They did a good job, good game plan. I thought Arthur Smith dialed up some good concepts uh, in the pass game and run game, kept things simple for Matt Ryan, got the ball out quick, uh, because the last time these two teams played, uh, it was a bloodbath. Uh, Ryan was hit multiple times and was sacked multiple times, and the idea here was to give Atlanta an opportunity, from Arthur Smith's perspective, to keep his quarterback clean, to run the ball with Patterson, which they did with some success. Mike Davis was a big part uh, of the game, not only in terms of running, but Billy, they, they were moving Mike to, to Brian Burns' side almost every time and chipping him to the point where Burns, after the game, made a point of bringing that up. And I look back at the tape, and yeah, they it almost shadowed Burns in a way to kind of give him that extra attention. Brilliant game plan by Arthur Smith. Simple, but brilliant at the same time. And once again, you know, this is just, we can get into specific turnover plays that happen here shortly. But I thought, on the whole, it was an impressive start for Carolina. But once again, when one unit starts to pick up the steam here, the defense seems, just like they did against Minnesota, just like they did against Dallas, other teams out there, they just tend to get a little soft up front. And they just don't have the ability to play four quarters in key situations. I I did not like the fact that this team allowed so many conversions on third and medium, third and long. Very disappointing for a defense that shouldn't be doing that. Talent-wise, they've got enough to get it done, so I don't get it. I haven't looked at the defensive tape yet. But, Billy, it's disappointing loss and uh, further compounded by, you know, are we making too much of it? I don't know. I just think this head coach does not manage games particularly well. They don't adjust particularly well at halftime. And after the games, there's always some type of oddball comment towards a player or towards a specific play that's just totally unnecessary to make. And uh, I guess we'll dive into that later. Yeah, but a very disappointing loss, Billy, as Carolina continues to slide down in the NFC standings. And now what do you got? You got the toughest schedule in the league coming up here down the stretch. You're platooning quarterbacks. Everything's just out of sorts right now and uh, it's, not it's heading mess. in a good direction.
2: Yeah. No, it's a mess. And I think the biggest thing for me moving forward is – even if you keep mad Rule, like, I just, I don't trust him or the ownership to figure things out. Because, uh, to me, a larger discussion, and I think we'll get into it, is what is this team doing? I, I mean, f- uh, fair enough. Jeff Nixon called a fine game. I had no real issues with his play calling either. But, I mean, you fired Joe Brady. Okay. What, what does that accomplish? It didn't accomplish anything. You didn't get... You didn't go out there and put a high flying offensive performance right um, on the board. You right. played well. You did okay. Where was the points, run game, Billy? Living. Where 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 was the power run it, game? I mean, it was just like all RPOs, which yeah. it's it's fine. But there's there, there was no like creative um, run concepts behind it. You have to run the ball to keep defenses honest. And it was just RPO after RPO. And I think the Newton interception was a good example, the pick six where. Uh, atlanta finally realized that okay let's just try to drop off our linebackers here and get in the throwing lanes if he's just going to keep throwing these glance routes which are essentially like slant routes and that's what uh, the linebacker did and he made a good read and took it back to the house and so john right now i just i feel like there's just no direction okay you got mad at joe brady because he didn't run the ball how many runs did they call this game
1: not enough. <laughs> and I'm, I'm speaking from the perspective 26. of Matt Rule. 20, well, they didn't hit their 33. The 33 runs. is the target, as you know, with Matt Rule, so, which is silly, by the way. 26 for 91 and uh, a pair of touchdowns. But, again, a lot of that's Newton as well. 10 so. of those,
2: yeah, 10, 10 carries that were from Cam Newton. So, John, here's the thing, man. At the end of the day, um, th- this team is just moving in so many different directions. I don't know what to make of it okay you're making all of these short-term decisions with trading for cornerbacks cj henderson and gilmore henderson who did not have a good game but no he didn't I mean, by the way um, i
1: propped him up on you're twitter making all- i think i gave him the curse i gave him some props on twitter for some of his tape the week prior and he came out and laid an egg and that was disappointing
2: no but that, and again i'm not trying to it's not one game with cj he's been average since he's been here, I just want to see him on the field and maybe he makes a difference next year. But the thing is, you don't have a second or third round pick. You have these games upcoming here where you're probably not going to be – you're not going to be favored in any of them. I mean, you, I don't even think you will be a less than a touchdown favor in any of them. Maybe New Orleans will be a six-and-a-half point spread. But to me, it's just like you're heading towards another five-win season. No consistency at quarterback. Questions about the long-term future about this head coach. Uh, the roster defensively, I think it's uh, they've done a good job with it, but it's still it's not perfect, and you, you, we started to see the warts of it yeah. on Sunday. Yeah,
1: I agree. I, I so, agree. John, I
2: just have really big questions. Um, I don't know if you want to get into it.
1: No, I do. Mike, I do. Mike
2: Florio <laughs> the week Mike Florio the week prior after Joe Brady got fired, he said head coach next on his podcast. Um, yesterday, he went on the Rich Eisen show and said that Matt Rule is in tr- trouble. And his justification was that if you remember the all or nothing series they did a couple of years back, uh, one of the final scenes of that series was uh, David Tepper talking uh, to someone and said that the league is set up for everyone to become eight and eight, as long as you have a good head coach, good GM and good quarterback. Well, right now they have, I don't know if they have a good GM, but I know they don't have a good quarterback and they don't have a good head coach. That was his sort of justification. And I kind of agree with two out of three. So
1: yeah. no, it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's, a, it's a
2: larger conversation we can get into here, John, but, um, but right now it's, it's just looking, like I said, last week, all, all a bit dysfunctional.
1: Well, let's, let's go back a little bit and talk about some of the acquisitions again. I'm counting them right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So th- this is starting in April. The The Panthers have made eight trades. Okay. Um, which is almost unheard of, by the way. And I'm not saying they're all bad, but let's just walk through them here. They acquire Sam Darnold and uh, take on the $4.7 million hit there, and they go ahead and sign the fifth-year option, by the way. Um, They give up a second-round pick, a fourth-round pick, a sixth-round pick to New York. So that's just ridiculous. We know that. (laughs) They were able to to get Bridgewater for a sixth-round pick, but they're still paying some of his salary right now. So, whatever. Greg Little, they traded him away for a seventh. So, that's fine. Denzel Perriman, look, he's not very good in coverage. He's a good thumper inside. I think his number is a little bit inflated right now with Las Vegas. So, I'm not really regretting that so much. But they got a sixth round pick by trading Perriman out. Ryan Santos. But they did
2: sign him in free agency. Yeah, so. they
1: did. Yeah, they absolutely. Good so that, point.
2: I would, you know, it's nice that they got a pick for it, but. What does it speak to their evaluation? They exactly. Signed him, like, within the first week of free agency. Thank you,
1: Ryan Santoso, the kicker. They they traded for a kicker. Now, unfortunately for New York, uh, he had to be active for two games to for them to cash in on that seventh round pick. So that's not going to hurt Carolina, but still another trade. Daryl Johnson for a sixth round pick. He's barely seen the field. Dan Arnold for C.J. Henderson. Now Panthers get a uh, third round pick, or actually his fifth round pick. Jags get a third round pick for that. Arnold's on IR, but, you know, it's not his fault. CJ's playing up and down. Like you said, he's developmental. And then Gilmore for a six round pick. That was the trade that was made on October 6th, Billy, where Fitterer kind of mentioned the word playoffs. And there's no question about it that that move was made with this season in mind. I mean, maybe, you know, they're thinking long term, we could, you know, lock him up to a long term deal. But you don't go out and make a deal for Stephon Gilmore, one of the best corners in the league, when you already drafted a great corner who's going to be back next year and you already have solid corners around you, you know, was that great allocation? Was that a great move in the end? I don't know. It's not paying dividends in the win column. No offense to Gilmore. Had a great game against Pitts in that first matchup. But, uh, again, that's that's a ton of trades to make. And it just speaks, again, to what is the process, Um we came into this with the expectation, Billy. When you and I started this podcast, I went back and listened to our first show, by the way, which we we did on Skype, and it sounded so bad, but it was good content. Um, but we were talking about all the things that were being pitched out in terms of you know three year process. Rome wasn't built in a day. Patience, and I I think we had some degree of skepticism. Uh, I, I certainly did. I, I was very skeptical that there was any truth behind that. But I I do think it was put out there to sort of give Matt some breathing room by the owner, say, you know what, just let's give him time while Dave goes and works on soccer and concerts and field turf and all that stuff. Um, But now we're in year one and a half plus now, almost year two is finished. And, yeah, if you had said, you know, before he was hired, okay, you're going to have a couple five-win, six-win seasons, and then it'll peak in year three. Logically, I think we were all okay with that. Here's the problem, Billy. I'm not seeing the forward momentum. They had the easiest, no, and, the easiest and, and, chunk well, 1, of their schedule is John. behind them. Now they got the hardest schedule no, ahead. And
2: thousand percent, they, they, the thing is, I would, I would agree with the three-year process. And I, and again, I, I've mentioned that many times here. I'm just, my issue is that they've made all of these short-term moves as if they're a good team right now. Exactly. And so it's not like they have assets to go into this free agency or in this draft to really like solidify their football
1: team. They don't even have a quarterback
2: for goodness sake.
1: They went out they went out inside cam for a $6 million contract in November. And I like cam, but what does that tell you? It's like, that's not cheap. I mean, it's a one year deal. I get it, but I heard rumors that there was a a two year deal on the, on the board there for him. I like cam a lot. I think he's been okay. Not great. Not as catastrophic as people would make you believe. He gives you dynamic elements in the red zone. Problem is, they can't get there enough. So I don't know if that was even prudent at this point.
2: Well, and again, that's the, the, the issue again, it's not about Cam. It's the fact that you're signing Cam yes. in November and you have a play caller who is trying to learn the playbook. And then you fire that play caller and you bring in another guy and then you're running down like a running like a, a a very cheap version of an RPO it's, offense. It's so bad. That, Billy. Again, it had it worked for a little bit. It worked a little bit against the Falcons, and that's one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And then you're switching quarterbacks in and out, and you're not saying it's a benching. You're being PJs just throwing up ridiculous balls at the end of the half. It, it's just it's a complete mess. And you know our good friend Doug Farrar, he had this tweet, which a lot of Panthers. Uh, fans actually agree with him. He was like Matt Rule might be worse than Urban Meyer. Um, well, yeah. Look, I'll say that. I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll say this about Matt Rule. He's very, very, very fortunate that there's a huge mess right now in Jacksonville because he should be getting a lot more heat from the national media. Oh, it's crazy to me that he's not getting more heat from the national media. Robert Mays and Nate Tice—they were going in on him on their Monday podcast. I think they do a great. Uh, they have a great show, um, but again, I, I look at it like. Here's my thing. Okay, now this is might be a little controversial, but again, just just hang with me. Look at the Detroit Lions. Okay, they realize that hey, we need to reset our culture, expectations, and our rebuild. So what do they do? They trade Matt Stafford. They get two first-round picks coming back to them. They have a very decent first draft. They draft a franchise left tackle or right tackle wherever he's playing now, and they have, they're playing hard for their coach. Man, that's a very and Billy, they, they team, they have. What, what
1: else? just to interrupt you there and just to add to that lines conversation, I'm a big believer, and I said this at the time with the hire from Baylor with Matt Rule, you need a staff with experience and you need at least one guy on that staff who's been a head coach before. All first-time coaches need that. I'm a strong believer in that. Deuce Staley, Anthony Lynn, Mark Brunel, Hank Fraley, uh, the, these are bona fide NFL guys who are on the staff. Every chef. single Aaron Glenn. Dom Capers. Every, think, Dom Capers is on that I staff. Think, they have great leadership. I think,
2: every, I think every coach on that staff has played in the NFL. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Aaron Glenn. Like I said, Aubrey Pleasant. Um Todd Wash is a D line coach, former, you know, defensive coordinator down there. So they've got coordinator level guys coaching positions. They've got former head coaches coordinating offenses. Now the win loss record sucks, but I totally agree with you. They have a plan. Moving forward, people will laugh at us and say, oh, you know what? <laughs> Comparing the Lions of the Panthers is laughable. I'm telling you right now, I trust their process because they're staying true to it. They're not jumping around like, you know, they're high on something. John. It's just, it's completely impulsive the way they're operating right now. And, and let me get back to this point before.
2: Oh, God, I, I love that word, impulsive.
1: It is. It, here's the thing. <clears throat> David Tepper is impulsive. Uh, hedge fund guys in general, but you know this world as well as I do, probably better These aren't patient people, Billy. They aren't. He talked patience. He talked about, you know, five years. Rome wasn't built in a day. It was all nonsense. And after one year, you and I have been on Matt Rule for a while now. Going back to the Washington game last year. Remember that? After the game where he was thumping his chest and talking about how people need to lay off us. Because, you know, we finally got out and got the big road win against Dwayne Haskins. Way to go. It wins a win. You know, that's great. But. Some humility would be fine. Nonetheless, they talk process. They talk building slowly through the draft, through youth. And then Deshaun Watson becomes available. And who's first in the line there along with Miami? It's Dave Tepper and the Panthers looking to get in on that. And they were seriously trying to. All the way to the end, Billy, at the trade deadline. And then you got situations like Stafford. They tried to make a deal there, and Stafford nixed that and wanted to go to California. Good for him. A good choice. Um, And then you start seeing veterans come in, not only last year, but this year. It's not like they didn't go into the veteran well to begin with. They went for for mid-range veterans, and then they overpaid on day one of free agency for two offensive linemen that had put some of the worst tape out there relative to their salaries they are just making in the NFL, and now you got Cam Mervin getting in front of the media, by the way, and, and saying something to the effect of, well, some of your questions are out there to divide our locker room, and that we're not going to have that. Just, just get the hell out of here with that. Seriously.
2: Did you, did you see Derek Brown's
1: Instagram post? Uh, no. What did he do? <laughs> what did Derek do? No, don't tell me. It was something along the lines of
2: fans shouldn't boo.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, look, I like Derek. I I think he's been better than most people think he's been, but he probably needs to learn to be careful about saying stuff like that, especially when you're in a situation where (laughs) there's not much to cheer about. The defense can't get off the field on third down. They can't stop a a a receiving core that has no Calvin Ridley, no Julio Jones. (laughs) Let's just stop with that. I, I don't know, man. I, I just don't see what the process – I'm going to stop using the word process – what the plan is. And and I'll get back to this. It's yeah, always awkward, Billy, when you hire a GM one year after you go out and hire a head coach. So Marty and, and Tepper flew down to Waco and had the whole meatballs party down there and, ha-ha, oh, this is funny, yeah, all the – all the lightweight reporters out there are putting out the powder puff pieces about all oh, this is great. It's a feel-good story. Matt and his family. That's all fucking fine and great. But at the end of the day, I was skeptical. I, I did not – I know you, know you and I talked Matt was a pretty good NFL prospect as a head coach. But then I saw the staff construction. I saw Herney still in the building. And I, none of it made sense to me. And now how aligned is Scott Fitterer with Matt Rule? Whose decision was Cam Newton? I doubt it was Matt's. I seriously doubt that. Um, he made the phone call, but I, I think that all went all the way to the top to Dave Tepper. I think he just said, look, this is, we need some energy. Um, go make it happen. I could be wrong on that, but I, I seriously doubt Matt Rule sat down and said, after all these quarterback decisions I made, Cam Newton, let's give Cam a call. And if he did, that's even more concerning, by the way. So impulsive. Well, it's an, let's, it's tot- let's be honest, Totally yeah, impulsive. That was not
2: that. That was not a med rule, or excuse me, that was not a rule or decision. It was a general manager, or excuse me, owner decision, um, because you don't bring back Cam Newton without the owner. Um, I mean, they took the picture for goodness sake after he signed in front of Tepper's house. That just told me. Anyway, um, uh, let's get back here. Uh, I know we like to take things in totality, but I think the biggest disappointment with this season has been the regression of the defense. Um, I'm not saying that they've regressed so badly that they aren't a good unit. Uh, and again, they only gave up what 22 points because a pick six was part of it, but still like this was a unit that I just had a little more expectations for and those third down conversions by Atlanta were uh, It was very disappointing. You know, the Carolina under Phil snow, they were one of the best third down defenses. Uh, in the NFL, the first like couple months of the year, and now um, you know the Washington game, and this game, it's it's just not it's not working. And I'm not taking a shot at Phil or anything. The defense is pretty healthy outside Dante Jackson, and there's obviously a lot of fans who don't even like Dante, so they probably see it as a positive.
1: Well, that's ridiculous. Um, by what the can way.
2: you say about this defense right now? Like, do you, I mean this was a team that they really came out hot. A lot of people were. Writing some really great stuff on Phil Snow and his unit in this process, uh, but what what do you attribute this regression towards uh, on that side of the ball?
1: Um, I, I'm I'm having a hard time with it, Billy, because I, I will I will list the games right here where I think the defense to me to me has been disappointing. Atlanta this past week, okay, um, and, and when I say disappointing, I, I mean just relative to expectations versus the competition they're facing. They should have played better against Atlanta. They're not generating enough takeaways. The third and long stuff was brutal. Uh, the Miami game, I, you look, there were under two or three yards of carry in that game. I think it was just a, a lot of wear and tear down the stretch because the Panthers, you know, had a punt block for a touchdown. So they could have done better there, but not terrible. Washington game was really bad in terms of run fits. Uh, they were just gashed up front and Heineke, Again, just like in this game against uh, the Falcons, the Panthers allowed Heineke to make some miraculous third and long conversions. You can't do that. Arizona game was good, but that's Colt McCoy. Uh, Patriots, I thought they played a great second half defensively. First half, you know, they got gassed a little bit, but they tightened up. Um, Vikings game was kind of ugly back and forth. The end of the Eagles game, you want to see something tighter, but again, for the most part. And the Cowboys game it was was pretty ugly in the run game. But, but for the most part, they, 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 they thrive. And this is what I kept saying on game day when I do the live you know clips there. Some people like it. Some people hate it. I don't care. Whatever. But, but the point was, okay, here we are, third and nine. I don't know how many times I was saying it. Okay, third and eight. This is where you want to be. Third and seven. Third and seven plus is a winning situation typically for this defense because they are constructed for it. They have good pass rush weapons, a good rotation of guys up front, and the coverage is usually sound. Now I got to go look at the tape and see where it broke down here. I don't know if it was zone, man. What the hell happened? I know the, the the last play where Pitts crossed the formation. You know Carter and Hartsfield are sitting there playing footsies with each other, and the best player on the field's running wide open across the field. That's situational stuff that can't happen. So again, yeah, it's a regression right now of late. Uh, I, I will say this though. They, they have a high standard. You, you talk to guys like Burns, who obviously is frustrated. Um, he didn't have his best game against Atlanta. He played very well against Miami. He's been up and down, but still one of the better edge guys in the league, I think, on a consistent basis. Reddick wasn't much of a factor in this game. Um, again, Atlanta did a good job neutralizing that. No interior pressure whatsoever against Atlanta. None. No, no, no big splash plays from Fox. In terms of the pass game, nothing really going on from Brown. So um, I think overall they're they're hamstrung because they're on the field so much. The field position differential is extreme right now. And uh, they wear down after that. It's still a young unit. Jeremy Chin's not been as uh, impactful as as I'd like to see. I I know he's doing a lot of the dirty work back there at multiple safety spots and, and roaming around. But you're not seeing the big plays from him, and you're not seeing the big takeaways. No. The defense is not making splash plays, Billy, uh, and I think they've only picked off eight passes all year maybe. That was just that's – my,
2: that's my biggest thing with Chin. Like, I think he's a fine player, but like the idea that he's just game-changing safety has never been something that I've agreed with. You know, He's a very solid NFL player. He knows where to be. He does a pretty good job of rotation. You know, being in the right place at the right time, he'll make some plays near the line of scrimmage. But as far as like generating turnovers and, you know, rotating back as a post safety and making a play on the ball, that's just not his game. He's not that type of guy. He's a box safety. Um, And that's just where he thrives right now. And hey, that's fine. He was, you know, it's not like you paid or drafted him in the top 20 or anything. You drafted him in the late second round, came from a small school, was very athletic, still learning the game. Maybe he can uh, develop those skills as the year goes on. But right now, I just think his skill set is best suited uh, in the box, and uh, it is what it is. But uh, I think my biggest thing with the defense, John, is this. They've played maybe two good quarterbacks all year, Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins. I think Matt Ryan's okay. I don't think he's great as he was in the past. He has
1: no weapons to work with other than Pitts right now, though.
2: Yeah, no, that's fair. But, but I think the two best quarterbacks they've played are Prescott and Cousins. And each time they've played a good quarterback, they've gotten burned. Now we'll see what happens. Josh Allen's going to be on the injury reports. I don't know if he'll play this week or not, but that's going to be a tough test. And then you get two games against Brady and those weapons. I I don't see that going well for this defense. Um, so to me, I still think this defense, I think this defense has certainly improved um, since last year. It's a good unit. It's not an elite unit like people were talking about earlier in the year. It's a good, you know, just outside top 10, maybe top 12, uh, 10, 11, 12 kind of unit, uh, in my opinion. Uh, They need to still add more talent, supplement some areas of that roster, Uh, but they're going to get a good test, especially if Josh Allen plays this week. Um, But I want to move to the offense. I know we kind of discussed a little bit, especially with the dysfunction at the quarterback position, but, uh, you know the offensive line; it is where it is. Uh, they only had allowed one sack, uh, but I think it was, you know, combat. They allowed a lot of pressures. They didn't play well yesterday, and like you said, the offensive line of Cam Irving is uh, trying to start a war with the media and fans and whatever else. I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just ignore that. I know you have some thoughts on it yourself, but I, I want to get to the receivers uh, and uh, tight ends. I thought, uh, I thought Robbie had his best game uh, of the year. That he played really well. Um, you know, early in that first half, uh, Newton found him on that seal ra- sale route, kind of underthrew it a little bit. But Robbie did a good job of kind of gaining leverage and then hit a nice uh, catch. Uh, I know was, some people say it's garbage time, but it was still a nice route, nice catch uh, from him and uh, Walker in the fourth quarter. Uh, I thought Robbie had a good game, but uh, I think the biggest thing with this team, John, especially if we're going to run this RPO offense, is DJ Moore is people, this is why I don't like tweeting it. But DJ is not a very refined route runner. He just isn't. And that's just, I don't know if that's something they that can learn. He's not, I, like Devontae Adams was like the only player that I think learned how to become like an elite route runner after he was a pretty mediocre one. I, I don't know if that's something he can develop.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Dev- I was talking about Devontae with a scout earlier this week, and, and that's a great point you mentioned, because Adams, I always thought early in his career, he had a really hard time creating separation. I think no, because for percent. the most part... The routes were inconsistent.
2: But the thing about Adams was And he's, he's become a, he one a, of the
1: greats. So uh, DJ DJ needs to continue to work on it.
2: No, but the thing about Adams was he was a really, really, really good basketball player uh, growing up. Um, I don't know if DJ is that type of player, so he doesn't... Like, the, the footwork, a lot of it's like doing those crossovers, like Iverson, or... Um, you know, sometimes you see LaMelo Ball doing those. Like, a lot of that comes from just your footwork at the line of scrimmage. And I haven't seen DJ you know, show any type of skills in that area. Um, he's really good using his hands and creating separation at the line of scrimmage. He does a really good job of fighting off press contact. But, man, he's, he, he's a very average route runner, and I'm just I'm a little disappointed in from this production. I know he got injured. Um, but just talk about the receivers. I know, like I said, Robbie, uh, it was good to see him have a, a very solid to good NFL game. And uh, but DJ, uh, I think I'm most disappointed in him, but uh, because my expectations roll higher, uh, people calling him top 10 receiver, all that stuff. Um, and I know people don't no, like to look, hear. Him, but again, I, I agree. I think it's a me. fair
1: assessment on DJ Moore. Look, the the strengths with his game to me and I've called him a bowling ball. And that's kind of how I see him. He, you get him in space with simple concepts until he can learn how to be a more complete, thorough route runner. Whereas I think Robbie is quite a sharp route runner. I don't think that gets talked about enough. I I see him as a other than Christian McCaffrey, the best route runner on the team. Um, With DJ, it's all about simplifying. So some of the stuff they did against Miami, you know, again, asking him to run, you know, some sharp, you know, deep digs there against trail technique and stuff like that. You know, you've got to be precise and you've got to know in terms of like option routes, you have to be sophisticated enough to know how to position yourself in those situations. But from a technical perspective, he's very good in the first second and a half when he's in press. Um, I will say this. There was a play in this game where the corner took the leverage to the boundary for DJ. So he's forcing him outside. And that could have been a play where Newton maybe pre-snap would have recognized, checked down to maybe a go there and and sort of taken advantage of the corner's leverage But instead, they go with another slant, and the slant is completely walled off because Moore can't fight through the press, whereas the corner's playing the the technique leverage that that eliminates the inside. So, um, yeah, but overall, he's just not a very refined route runner. For all of that, um, utilize him in ways that give him the best opportunity to be a benefit to your team. Jet sweeps, bubble screens. You know the 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 glance routes. As long as you're not overdoing that, because the defenses eventually will just send somebody to undercut it, and there'll be a pick six. But he's good with those. Um, I would like to see more vertical stuff with DJ. Just send him down on a nine or even a post, and just let him you know carve the top of the defense and in half or take the top off it uh, because he's got the top line speed to do it. I think they've got to do a little more of the. I don't know what what a good comp would be in terms of former Panthers receivers. Certainly not Steve Smith, but just in terms of his skill set, he's so brutally physical in the open field. Just get the ball in his hands, let him be a bully, and get those rack yards. Sort of like Golden Tate, I guess, in a way. Golden was very good about that in his prime, but also in a way, get DJ more vertically involved. Yeah, that's a he's good He's just comment. not a good route runner right now. He's not, and it's hurting the team. Um, he had 84 yards, six receptions, 10 targets. His stat line's looking fine. He's going to be a 1,000-yard guy again. But, uh, but yeah, if you ask me who the best route, best route runner is on the team, he's on IR right now. It's McCaffrey. And then maybe Anderson would be second. But DJ's got a lot of work to do in that area. I like him a lot. Good guy. Physical guy. Plays hard. Plays hurt. Um, but, man, he's got to get refined on this stuff because we're getting into year four now.
2: 1,000%. Um... Any thoughts on Robbie's
1: game? Yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, and uh, what what I'll start with on this front is, is Robbie's attitude. I, I think it's hard to read where he is mentally sometimes because he's very you know low key, level headed. Then he had the outburst uh, that that was directed at Darnold, and I think perhaps maybe a little bit of Joe Brady because it sounds like he was pretty happy with how Jeff Nixon called the game. So of course you're going to be when you catch a touchdown. I thought there was a nice play at the end of the game by Walker to find him on that fade, and it was good to get Robbie back in the end zone. But, yeah, you know, I thought I thought he did some good things. Um, Stat-wise, you know, he got targeted 12 times. That's good to see. Some more targets. That's probably the most he's had in a minute. Seven catches, 84 yards. That's 12 yards a catch. He had a 23-yarder, had the touchdown. Um, where's Terrace Marshall? Uh, he had 33 snaps, I believe, Billy. No targets. Yeah, man,
2: this is just – so. I'm a fan of his. I, I, I think Marshall is a really good prospect and I think he will become good. But man, it's just, and this is just my biggest frustration with this coaching staff, man. It's just like, where's the development of your young players? Like which rookie can, can we look at this year and say that they've been properly developed? Tommy Trumbull, maybe he's played pretty well. I know he had that nice catch. Um, Newton threw it with a lot of heat, but he came down with it. Uh but, but still, like, he hasn't been like a game changer. J.C. Horn was certainly looking like it. But for me, man, I'm still optimistic about this rookie class. But I think it's um, just fair to wonder if they're getting the most natural development. And, you know, and as we close out here, John, this is, um, you know, the four-game stretch that we've been harping on since the schedule came out. Uh, Josh Allen's status, I'm not sure what it is. I know you're going to join the fine folks that cover one tomorrow on a podcast, uh, really good job they do. Um, and it, it, this is going to be a tough game, whether Trubisky's playing or Allen's playing, because you're going into that weather, you know, Buffalo, they, they had a big comeback They're a lot of momentum from that second half and overtime. Um, so they're starting to find their groove and they got, and this is a must win game for them in the playoffs yeah. too. It really is. Uh, Carolina's low and a half point underdog. They're, it's going to be less than 30 degrees. It's going to be a, it's going to be a tough game, and uh, you know, two out of three weeks after that, you have the defending world champions. So, what do you want to see from this team as we close out the year, John? I know it's tough to really look for kind of areas of improvement and areas of um, you know to look forward to. List uh, again, we don't know the job status in that role. We don't know the job status of Scott Fitter. Assuming both are back. Just tell me from a football perspective on the field what you want to see from this team um, that can really prove to you that they're going in the right direction.
1: Well, I, I want to see smart coaching, smart schematics, consistency with the coaching, and I want to see this team stick with one quarterback. If you want Walker, go there, but but stop being you know discount store Steve Spurrier here. It's not working. You sign Cam Newton to $7 million. He's a veteran guy. And this is a game where you've seen this Buffalo team get moved a little bit in the run game. Not just the the Bills, or not just the Pats game, but the Colts game as well. Now, can Carolina do that? I, I don't know. I don't think so. But that's probably their best chance is to just really zone in on what they can do to get Newton involved. Give him more carries. I think pure carries. Uh, they're going to have to maybe, maybe activate Bonifant. I think at this point, give him some action because I'm not seeing a lot of good stuff from Hubbard in terms of contact balance. He's tackling himself too much. I want to see the run game work. Well, I don't want to see 33, 35 carries. I don't give a shit how many carries they have. I just want to see an effective running game. It's a good front. They have, they got Oliver, Rousseau, Phillips, Hughes, guys like that. And they can pin their ears back and get after you, um, Try to get some matchups here. You know, you saw what Tampa did in overtime where they got Perriman out there at the Z on the outside and the crosser matched up in uh, coverage against Edmonds across the field. That was an ideal play call and great protection. Try to find some matchups. Wallace is a decent corner. Jackson, eh, he's been up and down. They're missing their best corner right now, obviously. Um, Defensively, look, if Josh Allen's out and it's Trubisky, I I just think they've got to play... A solid game here. They, they got to be able to make Mitch Trubisky look like at least Mitch Trubisky average and not have Mitchell Trubisky running around the field having a career day. And then the storyline is, oh, here's Trubisky. Now he's going to be the hot next free agent. <laughs> and then of course the Panthers would go out and sign Trubisky next year. That would be their logic. Um, I want to see good coaching. I want to see good situational football, better red zone defense I want to see DJ Moore active in the vertical game and in the short screen game and the jet game, maybe with some touches out of the backfield. Uh, I don't know what to count on for these running backs Carolina has. I just don't think it's a great group right now. The offensive line, get Christensen at left tackle right now. Get Brown back at guard right now. Get these guys in these brutal conditions and see what they've got. I talked to a scout today around the league who agreed with that said, look, no better time than the present. They're out of the playoff race. Brady had a pretty solid game at left guard. I'll give him that. But it's time, Billy. It's time to see what you have in two rookies who are now fully cleared and healthy to play. Put them at their true positions and evaluate. And for the love of God, for the love of God, get Terrace Marshall and maybe even Shai Smith involved in some capacity and evaluate these guys. Do it now. The, the, The only... Bright spot about having games down the stretch where you have no opportunity to make the playoffs is you have a chance now to play your rookies, to play your younger guys. Coaches are always going to say, we, we want to give our guys the best chance to win. Uh, we, we believe uh, John Miller and Dennis Daly give us that. Uh, bullshit. Put the guys in that need to be in to develop. You're a developmental coach. You're, you've been brought here to develop a program, develop players. Do it. Otherwise, find another job. Because I'm sick of seeing fans of this team suffer through incompetence, and with all due respect to Matt Rule, a very good college coach, he's looking entirely over his head right now. So if he gets mopped with these teams down the stretch, starting with Buffalo, the seat gets hotter and hotter. There are no free passes in this league, Billy.
2: Man, that that that, that entire monologue should go on HBO. Man, that was really <laughs> well said. Um, <laughs> thank you uh but no in, in, in all seriousness i just think you know this is this is just an opportunity for matt rule to really show what his teams are made of okay no one again they are going to be underdogs in each game but maybe more than a touchdown maybe new orleans it's like i said it's going to be less than a touchdown but it's it's going to be tough uphill for matt rule at this point I saw there was a stat running around that since 2018, Carolina has like the worst winning percentage in December. Yeah. Um, out of all 32 yeah. teams. It's been uh, awful. And so that's, that that wears on the the um, head coach. All right. Now I know, you know, some of that was Ron Rivera and some of that was Perry Fuel, but Matt Rule also last year. His team did not play well. In this it was summer. all
1: Dave Tepper, Billy. It was all Dave well. Tepper.
2: I can tell you that. And that's just a thing with me, man. I I just want to see some type of coherent strategy that everyone is moving aligned. And if there is just, I don't know, man, it's just really tough to put into words because I I just want to see this team, you know, just show some type of competency, not only from a football, um, you know, operations standpoint with personnel, but also on the field too. And that's just not, it's not showing up right now. And so the biggest thing for me in these games I'll echo what you said it just it all seems just so simple, man. It really does play one quarterback, play your rookies, play the third round left tackle rookie that you drafted at left tackle <laughs> That's
1: ridiculous And
2: it, it just seems so simple, but the coaching staff is just making it harder and harder and harder to defend. and then the press conferences are, where he's calling oh, out players Christ. by their art. That length, shit's, got to,
1: shit's putting, got to stop, Bill. It's every week and now. Yeah, putting,
2: you know, and saying that, hey, we want to run this many times. Just.
1: Well, and just let me say real quick. We're not way, done yet. I, we, I want a few more minutes with you here because i got a few other things to get off my chest. Yes, yeah, this, no, this no, conversation. No, the,
2: and just before I finish up, I'll give it back to you here. I, I just think the best way for players to buy into your culture is to win in December, man. Because if you I, I do think they'll win one or two of these games.
1: I don't. I don't know which don't. ones,
2: but I do think they'll win and maybe even be I competitive. Don't. I I I don't know. Maybe that New Orleans game, I mean Taysom isn't exactly you know the greatest quarterback in the world. Um and you know the Saints might be out of the playoffs so it's not like they're gonna have a raucous superdome <laughs> by that time. But but I guess my point here is this, okay. You can't continue to Go uh, like it's one thing for Urban Meyer or some of these other college coaches. Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll's is going to go bring in all these USC players. Urban is going to go get these Ohio State and Florida players. what Matt Rule is getting Baylor and Temple players. Like, what are we doing? Like, that's why it's important to win games in December so you establish a culture and you can convince other free agents who aren't from Temple or Baylor
1: to come join exactly. your team. You know what I mean? Bingo. You know what I mean, John? Bingo. The best point made on this podcast in weeks, right there. You have to be able to demonstrate to the guys in your locker room, and it's a veteran group, some of these guys. I mean, they brought in A.J. Bouyer. They've got some vets along with Shaq Thompson. Brian Burns is a veteran now. Son Reddick is coming up on a contract year. Um, you, you've got to be able to sell them on what you're doing. And I'm not hearing that there's strife in the locker room. I certainly don't see a lack of effort. These guys are playing hard. But it's just kind of like, meh. It's like, oh, you know, it's just there's just no positive momentum right now, emotionally, mentally. Um, And wins will help with that. But you've got to win the games. And part of winning the games goes back to having the right culture to begin with. Um, So when free agents are looking around at opportunities next year, they might start looking around and saying, you know what? I'm kind of hearing from my buddies or my agent that. You now, this coach is a college guy. He's just he's not adapting. He's not acclimating to the game. Whereas, if you bring in like a Doug Peterson, just being hypothetical here, oh my like, god, or any of these other you know potentially very good young assistants like Nathaniel Hackett, Kellen Moore, let me run to the gates to try to play for this guy. It's a different league right now. My whole thing with Matt, I said, yeah, if it doesn't start to show trajectory upwards by the middle of year two, then you are going to have some veterans looking around the league and within that locker room saying, you know what, you're wasting my best years right now. Um, because they're playing hard and playing well. This is not a player issue. With the exception of this, the offensive line. And getting back to that, they don't have excuses there either, Billy, because on day one of free agency, they signed two starters, Pat line, Cam Irving, for not insignificant money, by the way. Not franchise money, but not vet minimum stuff. That was their plan, and they raved about these guys. So to say, you know what, we've had challenges on the O-line, Matt needs another year, bullshit. These were Matt's guys. They went out of their way to get Brady Christensen, only to be stubborn enough to not give him a chance to feature himself at left tackle where he protected Zach Wilson for for years. Now, again, it's a different league in the NFL. I get it. The short arms thing, why even talk about that? And then Matt, again.
2: Can I just say something something about that? Before you go on, I respect you a lot as a content maker. And this is to anyone trying to shit on John because he posted a few clips of Christensen not engaging with the defensive, with the defenders. Let it be, guys. Let it be. <laughs> He's just showing the footwork and experience in reps of a player. Of a player. Yeah. That's just
1: my opinion. Thank piece. you for that. And uh, shout out to the fine young man who. You know, called me out when, obviously, there were ultimately clips that I posted earlier of him and pass sets that were just fine. I digress, though. Um, <laughs> thank you for that, Billy. Yesterday, Rule came out, um, or Sunday, I should say, right after the game. This is 11 minutes after the game ended, without looking at the tape. And he made the statement that Cam Newton should have fallen on the ball um, with the exchange. Again, it could have been Newton's footwork was the culprit there. I doubt it. It could have been that falling on the ball was the right move in a split second. I also doubt it because when he's already got the hand out to Hubbard at that point, he's falling backwards. If he falls backwards untouched by a defender, that ball's probably coming out of his hand anyway. Probably a better chance for a a six going the other way for the defense. He puts it right in Hubbard's breadbasket. The ball doesn't get to Hubbard's belly. It falls to the ground. But that's not necessarily Newton's fault. It could have been a little bit of Newton's fault. But Rule went out of his way to single Newton out there. And again, I, I'm not a Newton stand here. I'm not, you know, asking him to be ultra nice. I think it's okay to be critical of your quarterback. The pick six was something he got baited into. That was a bad play. But that exchange situation, you know, Elfline stepped on his foot We've seen quarterbacks before, like Favre, Mahomes do this, and it worked out just fine. If Hubbard doesn't drop the exchange, what is Matt's take on it then? Still fall on it? No, he'd be saying, oh, it's a really good, heady play by a veteran quarterback like Newton. So just shut up. With all due respect, stop it. Uh, You know, if you've got something to say in these pressers that are of value, say it. But this continued effort to single out Brady Christensen's arms and then, you know, Newton not doing the right thing on something that ultimately was not his fault. Newton's a big boy. He can take it. He's fine with it. I'm not worried about Newton's emotions. He's He's been dealing with the shit sandwich buffet for his entire career. He can handle it. But I just think it's important. It's getting to a point now where I'm hearing like players on the podium, and they don't sound really thrilled about how this thing's going. And there's a lot of malcontent. There's a lot of finger pointing. Dennis Daly saying, what's well, my fault? And then Cam Mervyn got up and said, well, yeah, that play was my fault. I guess I'll take the hit for that. But it sort of looked like he was smirking when he said, it, like, whatever, I'll I'll take the heat on it. It's just a mess, Bill. And it starts at the top. Control the narrative. Quit talking so much. Keep it simple. And for the love of God, start winning some games. Because if you keep losing, and then you keep throwing people under the bus, it's not just me, Billy. There's people out there, like Ferraris mentioned this, Josh Norris and others, have talked about you as well, mentioning Matt Rule and the inability at times to just control the narrative. But the ultimate thing is just having a game plan that works. Stop putting P.J. Walker in the goddamn game. Stop it. He's a turnover machine. He had a nice drive at the end of the game. I think he's great in that department, in that moment. Nice drive. Good job. But he has one of the highest interception rates of any quarterback in the league right now. So, again, this idea that, oh, well, we, there's certain situations that fit P.J. better than Cam. And what does P.J. do in one of his plays? He checks down on a second and one to a zone read where he loses five yards. So just stop. It's, it's mind-numbingly stupid. And unless he starts getting it done fast, the NFL's not for Mad Rule. It's just not. And I've been patient with it. I've tried to go along with it. But I'm at a point now where if, if I'm David Tepper... And he's pretty short-tempered. He's pretty short-natured when it comes to making decisions. Not impulsive, I would say, at times maybe. But he is a pretty short-leash type of guy. Contrary to his statements about Rome wasn't built in the day. This guy had a winning season yet. And that's going to weigh on his ego, and it should. And first-time owners, Billy, you look at the Pagulas, you look at uh, the, the Haslams, they don't have a good track record of first-time hires. This is nothing new. So right now, Matt Rule... I'm talking about a stat here, and I'll leave you with this. Post Thanksgiving, first two seasons as Panthers head coach, John Fox ten and four. He took over a one and fifteen team, by the way. Ron Rivera eight and three. Matt Rule one and six. And I don't know if he wins another one out here. So he could be one and eleven before he turn around. Um, and as I said, trajectory matters, Billy. You gotta show forward momentum. If you're if you're playing your worst football in December, that's when you start losing people. And, uh, if they have another one of these games down the stretch where it's like 42 to 10 at home against, you know, uh, Tampa or they go on the road to New Orleans against Taysom Hill, and I could see Sean Payton just absolutely scheming things up. Remember that first New Orleans game? Half their staff was missing from, I think it was COVID. Um, I don't see a winnable game right now. It's not the players, man. This is coach. I hope I'm wrong. I really do, Bill. I'd rather be wrong. No, I don't disagree I'd rather be and wrong in it all. I'd like yeah, him to work out for Matt. I want him, him to be a good coach. Yeah. Right now, he's not showing me he's a good NFL coach. You are where your record is. Bill Parcells. I mean, I would argue he's, he, he's certainly he, – he is certainly a bottom five NFL coach. Paid is a top three, seven one.
2: Um, if we're just doing a ranking of it. Yep.
1: What is that? Paid is a top seven one. None of my yeah. business.
2: Yeah, no, I, I was just saying – Yeah, so – I just, I don't know. I don't know. I just think Rule is mismanaging everything from the personnel, the front office, uh, the quarterback situation, and then everything he's doing in the media to call out players. And it just doesn't have to be this way. and Hey, you are what your record says you are, and you are what your product says you are. And that's sort of what we're getting here with this coach. And I don't know if things are going to get better these next four weeks. If you get another season, Uh, again they're going to be in desperation mode to make all these short-term moves again because they think they're closer to a Super Bowl than reality and that's just not the case okay Uh, I'm I'm trying to be fair I think this roster is better than five and eight I really do think this roster is better than five and eight but I also don't think it's at a level where you where where it's even close to the teams that are in the playoffs currently this is you know, maybe they're better than Washington, but I don't know. I can't even say that. They lost to them. Maybe they're better than Philadelphia. They lost them, too. The 49ers, they would come in here and they would wax this team. So would the Rams. And so would the other teams who are at the top of their division. I just think coaching in general, like, like defensive coaching, in my opinion, has uh, regressed a little bit in the past few weeks. I think teams are finally figuring out where to attack this defense, especially um, you know short to intermediate parts of the field. The pass is of getting home uh, offensively. Yeah, he made Joe Brady the scapegoat. Joe Brady moved on. Jeff Nixon comes in. And, again, Jeff Nixon is going to find out that his personnel is a bigger issue than he'd like to admit. All right? And then this is nothing against Jeff. I thought, again, he called a fine game. Just like I Joe Brady consistently called uh, good to fine games. But when you have a quarterback situation like Carolina does and you have the offensive line like they do, I mean, th- these are the re- results. And they speak for themselves. So um, –
1: Billy Billy, Billy Joe again. Brady called a masterclass of a game in short order with Cam Newton at Arizona against a very good defense. I just want that to be known that he was able to in short order put together some concepts for Newton quickly, the sprint right option, you know, the the power run to the goal line, some of the other mesh stuff they did later in the game. That was with a week to prepare. And again, Joe Brady, you can say what you want about him, Out there, fans, I I just understand. Mad Rule says he went out of his comfort zone and obviously a year and a half in, he was uncomfortable and he fired him. And when you start firing coordinators...
2: I'm just not sure what what they want, man. It's like you have all of your comfort zone. These are all your coaches now. Baylor, Temple, whatever. You have a lot of Baylor, Temple players. I mean, you really have to start wanting to just, not only just attract free agents, but just get you know, rookies who are going to be drafted to buy into your program because if they realize that, hey, you're a 5-11 and 11 or 5-12 and 12 coach in consecutive years, they're going to probably start to tune you out and just focus on themselves for the next regime to come in. And, and so right now, Rule has not displayed any sort of competency. And again, I go back, I don't know how plugged in Mike Florio is, okay? Again, he thinks Matt Rule is in trouble. I don't, again, I have no sourcing to believe that. I don't believe you have any sourcing to, to confirm that. These next four games, it's going to be very telling to see where they go and how they do. Um, I don't care about the contract. Dave Tepper, he's a rich guy, he makes a lot of money. But th- this is what I can tell you about Tepper he cannot operate this team like a hedge fund and make impulsive moves one after the other. Okay. Everything that they've done from when they hired Matt Rule to now it's been just a colossal circus because you're hiring GMs and firing GMs. You know, one GM, Herney has his own priorities. He's trying to save his own job and you fire him and you bring in another guy like Fitter and then Matt Rule has his own priorities, which is I guess to win now. And it's just, it's becoming a revolving circus. And I don't, I don't like that. You're bringing up, giving up a ton of assets for Teddy Bridgewater and um, you know, and then you trade Teddy and he's, playing pretty well and then you go for a reclamation project like Darnold and that inevitably fails you try to bring back Newton give him six and a half million dollars it's again I'm not saying it's a circus but it's looking that way and just one more thing before I close up here the NFL players speak the walls speak just keep that in mind I know a lot of people like to make fun of Teddy Bridgewater for doing that interview last year where he was calling out the coaches a lot of other players are going to do that And Teddy is not the only one, all right. He's going to start, Teddy's a very respected guy in the league and he's been around. He's been to Minnesota, New York Jets, Saints. Um, Now he's in Denver playing with some really good players there. Players, the word gets out. So if you consistently like, you know, micromanage and not necessarily micro, but if you consistently just put out a product that's less than exemplary, players will speak. They have agents. Agents will speak to other players and they'll speak to, rookies who are going to come in and the perception and the word of this team it's not going to be very healthy for this organization so just keep that in mind okay because right now like that teddy interview at the time i thought you know I tell you maybe had a little sour grapes but there's a lot of truth to what he said and if he feels that way a guy who's very calm and quiet in his own approach then other players are going to just speak up how they feel as well
1: You're, you're exactly right. I'll close out with a couple of thoughts to, to follow on that here. We, we've we had a nice conversation here. We've gotten a lot out on the table, and I think it's getting to crunch time for Mad Rule. Mike Florio did mention that. You passed that link along to me yesterday with Rich Eisen's show, uh, that, that Mad Rule apparently from Florio sourcing is is getting hot on the seat right now and is in trouble. Um, you hear that from other people around the league, too. Now, my, my sources don't tell me that anything is imminent, but What I truly believe here, the sense I get is everything's being evaluated right now down the stretch. And as I was told a few weeks ago, right after Joe Brady was fired, that all the seats are hot in that building right now. And I would exclude probably Fitterer, Dan Morgan, guys like that. The front office guys are going to get their chance to move forward. But the coaching staff, including the head coach, are all under tight watch right now. So what's being evaluated Uh, I would say, like we said earlier, situational football, effort level, which has been pretty good overall, Uh, special teams, you got to make sure that's tight, managing your roster, managing utilization, playing the right guys in the right position, getting the most out of your rookies, giving them a chance to evaluate what they can do, Um, and maybe picking up a couple of wins wouldn't hurt. Uh, they need to be quality wins. Again, you, you if you get a win late in the season where everybody's resting their starters, that doesn't impress me. I, I won't, I, I'm not going to really care about that. And I'm not even really concerned so much about the wins or losses. If they can take these teams toe-to-toe for four quarters and show their coaching at their level and playing at their level, fine. So be it. If Matt can once in his tenure, once now, for once, coach his team up to competition, up to their level of competition they're facing, I'll be impressed. So far, I don't see it. And then I ask myself this, even if they come to a situation where, and this, I've heard this too, okay, Matt, you're coming back, but we're picking a new coordinator for you. We're going to do that. You're no longer in charge of personnel, whatever. What does that solve in the end? Because at the end of the day, you're still stuck with Baylor's head coach who, by the way, has been dealing with 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds exclusively who have not been getting paid and are not millionaires for the past decade or so, which I admire that. That's where he belongs, I think. But that doesn't always translate in the NFL, and it especially doesn't translate if you don't start winning. To get up there and talk like your hero, Bill Parcells, and start you know taking shots at players, even very subtle ones, very good players, by the way, um, it doesn't resonate at all if you're a losing operation. And right now they are what their record is. He's just got 377 winning percentage as a coach. You extrapolate that out, that's, that's in rich, coat tie territory. So it's time to start yeah. winning. If they don't finish with a strong push here and, and, and demonstrate to me that they have competency on both sides of the ball, I wouldn't waste my time doing this again. I'd cut ties and I'd go find a progressive young head coach with a schematic advantage, Billy, which Matt Rule does not have. Kingsbury has that. McVeigh has that. Shanahan has that. Brian Flores has that. Matt Rule is a program. He's a CEO, Billy. I know he's coached every position group. He's not a football idiot. I'm not saying that. But you need something different, I think. I I, I think I've seen enough. I think I've seen enough, but I'm not making that call. It's not my decision. If it was up to me, my mind would be made up. Play out the string, start shopping for a new coach.
2: Hey, uh, I totally agree with you, John. And I think that when you take this hard-nosed CEO approach, it works if you're Parcells because you have Lombardi's to back it up. It works if you're Belichick. Because you have players, coaches um, who have rings because of that. That, that style, it's just not going to work with this approach coming from the college to the NFL game. Like if you're Kingsbury or Chip Kelly, where you call plays, I know people kind of ragged on Chip a little bit, but he called plays. And I think that the Chip uh, made, the I mean, playoffs. They still made the playoffs. And yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So Chip, from, from that, I just think in San Francisco, it's just a complete mess and he left. But again, if you're a play caller like a Kingsbury or a Chip Kelly, then you know, it might work. But when you're the CEO type like Matt and you don't have the experience and, and players just – they don't care about rebuilding Temple and Baylor. Man. They no. just don't – I mean, it, it, they care about Lombardis and money. And how are you going to help them win Lombardi's, which will help them make more money?
1: Exactly.
2: And uh, right now Matt Rule hasn't done that. John, is there any final words you have for our Um,
1: guest? Yeah, I I guess as we we progress to this next game, we'll take a deep dive. Josh Allen's status is up in the air. It's going to be a cold one in Buffalo. Uh, On the surface, I I, I see some hope for Carolina potentially getting the run game going. But overall, I, I think they're overmatched. I think Buffalo's going to play pissed off. Uh, they're a well-coached team. They're a well-staffed team, and if Allen is is anywhere near seventy-five percent or more, he's going to play. So, they got to win that game. Uh, I don't think this is a spoiler week for Carolina. I think I think it could be a pretty ugly outcome, but we'll we'll dive into it. Uh, my last thought about what's going on with this team again. Uh, it's results-oriented. I know process matters to Matt. It matters to every coach, by the way, Billy. So let's not give Matt rule the trademark on process and culture every coach talks about it in some facet or form you don't make it to this level without being competent he knows what he's doing but again it speaks to the judgment of this owner I know he doesn't count against the salary cap but to overextend and go out of your way to bid against the the giants and Dave Gettleman for Matt Rule and to offer him that amount of money and that amount of length on a contract it's his money do it It's not the cap or money issue that I'm worried about. There's no cap with coaches. It's the judgment, Billy. It speaks to judgment. Scott Fitterer seems like a pretty competent GM. I like Dan Morgan a lot. Hit the reset button. Give this front office an opportunity to help hire a new coach that fits their philosophies. Because I'm not convinced that Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer magically aligned without knowing each other much before Rule pretty much hired Fitterer, which is totally dysfunctional. That's my two cents on that.
2: Oh, well, again, thank you everyone. Again, Buffalo is a pretty desperate team. this upcoming week. So, uh, Carolina has a chance to, uh, really compete with them. They're going to be 11 and a half point favorites. Um, expected to be maybe nine if Mitch Trubisky plays, who did have a pretty good preseason for them. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be it for us. Uh, John, you can find him on Twitter at one Panther place. You can find me on Twitter at Billy M underscore 91. Uh, and make sure to also check out John's radio show, uh, do you
1: want to plug that yeah thanks billy you were a guest on our show this week and we're going to have you back here soon uh fox sports upstate uh, it's down here in the upstate of south carolina you can find it on the iHeartRadio radio app we host a show richmond weaver and myself from 4 to 6 p.m in the afternoons on the fox sports affiliate down here in the upstate we've had some great guests including uh yours truly billy marshall over there giving us some great nfl talk nick carboni joe person John Alexander. We got a lot of great Panthers content. So, again, thanks to Blue Wire, by the way, Billy. We're up to like 105 episodes. It's been a great relationship with those guys. And uh, we got to get out to Vegas, man. Got to check out that studio sometime.
2: Yeah. Well, the upcoming draft for Carolina could potentially have a top 10 pick. It's Vegas. So let's roll, baby. Well, maybe we'll do that. Well, thanks again, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you next time.